Good morning. I want to draw your attention to um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, first 10 verses. And uh, if you're following your Pew Bible, that's uh, page 878, but the passage is also printed out in the um, worship bulletin on page 3. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and this is God's Word. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to his, this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This doesn't sound like ESV. Is, is that a different version? It, it, it sounded very different from what I had read at home. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for its power, for its reality, and we pray that you would apply uh, this word to us. As Kurt has prayed, we pray that you would teach us exactly about this meeting with Zacchaeus, what you taught him and what you teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I haven't seen very much about it in the news, but uh, I was visiting my sister recently and I saw um, some kind of a documentary on television. Um, this Thursday, for those of you that are old enough to remember, and that's most of us, marks the 20th anniversary of the death of Princess Diana. And uh, seems remarkable that could be 20 years, and for some of you, that's not a very significant event. But for many people, that was just um, a huge, a huge event because she was so popular. Princess Diana. Uh, she was especially popular, as you know, because she broke the mold of British royalty. I mean, the, the stiff and remote uh, British, the, the, the queen, the king, the, the prince, she was suddenly accessible. She broke every rule very purposefully. And the crowds couldn't get enough of her, and neither could the paparazzi which most likely led to her death in the car crash, as we know. And people hound celebrities. They just long to see somebody famous. And this is basically what Jesus is at this point for very many, as Jesus is going through Jericho on his last trip to Jerusalem before his death. He had just healed a blind man, or two blind men, as we read in a parallel account, and so, if he wasn't already famous, he, he's very famous now. This is the man who's just healed somebody. And so the crowds gather, they want to see. And if you were there in Jericho, you would have joined the crowd too. For a variety of reasons. We've got to see this person as he passes by. He may never be back in Jericho again, so they have to see him. And Zacchaeus wants to see him. Now, we're not really sure of all his motives. Why does Zacchaeus 
want to see him? Is he just starstruck? I saw Jesus when he went through Jericho. Is he curious? He's going to a lot of effort to see Jesus. Maybe he had heard of some of Jesus' teachings. Maybe he had heard of the confrontations that Jesus had had with the Pharisees and the self-righteous, and he really enjoyed that. Maybe he wanted to see this man who had put the Pharisees in their place because maybe he had also heard that Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners because Zacchaeus, as you know, is a tax collector. And you've probably heard this many, many times, but you know the situation of the tax collectors and why they were so despised by the Jewish people. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Zacchaeus, by the way, the name actually means pure. It's kind of ironic. But anyway, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And as you may know, the way the tax collectors made their money is that they were given a quota. And as long as they made their quota by collecting taxes, anything they made above that they kept for their own. And they did quite well. And therefore they were despised. Not only were they traitors to the Roman government or to the people because they worked for the Roman government, they were stealing from the people. But he was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So that means that he was probably in charge of other tax collectors and probably even the other tax collectors despised Zacchaeus. He was a hated man. He probably didn't have any friends except those he could buy with his wealth. So here's Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus for some reason. He may not even know why he wanted to see Jesus. And so I'm proposing to you, and I, and I, I wouldn't normally do this, but I think that Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus is somewhat of a metaphor for seeking out Jesus. And what I'm going to do this morning is, is actually propose that there might be several levels at which people are looking at Jesus, whether it is just as a spectator or as uh, actually a seeker or, or maybe somebody who's struggling. And what I'm going to propose is that we are somewhere in that spectrum. And if we're really going to have an encounter with Jesus, there are several obstacles that we need to bypass, that we need to get over in order to really have an encounter with Jesus. Now, the first one is this. We need to get over our dignity. We need to get over our dignity. Has it ever occurred to you how strange it is for Zacchaeus to climb a tree? Ever think about that? You might say, well, you know, in first century Israel, men climbed trees. No, they did not. Okay? Men did not climb trees any more than a businessman in a suit would climb a tree today. They just didn't. Now, I could give you a picture that, you know, a sycamore tree in that is not the same as a sycamore tree. Big deal. It doesn't matter. It's a tree. And men don't climb trees. So, getting over your dignity, we see this right away. Zacchaeus is casting aside his dignity to climb a tree. Now, th this is quite something. He's looking ridiculous climbing a tree. Now, this is much like a story we have in the Old Testament where King David decides to bring the ark into Jerusalem. You know, there's no temple yet. And he decides to bring it to Jerusalem. What does he do? Okay? He, because the robe that he has is too cumbersome, he takes it off. So he just has basically a linen undergarment. And he's dancing and dancing and dancing. And remember when he gets home, okay, his wife mocks him. And he says... I will become even more undignified than that. He doesn't care. He thinks it's fine to cast aside his dignity 
because he's dancing before the Lord. And what dignity can one have before the Lord? David gets it. Zacchaeus gets it, but he doesn't know he gets it. Because before the Lord, we must cast aside our dignity. And didn't Jesus say exactly that? What did he say that we must become like? A child. Now, what did he mean when Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you shall not see, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. It does not mean to act immature. Okay, so don't take that. Some of you, that may be all you hear today, right? It's okay to be immature. The pastor said that. No, what it means, of course, is that we come empty-handed with nothing to offer our Lord, nothing of our own, totally dependent upon the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean we despise theology. We are Presbyterian, as you know. Okay? We're not saying that it's just me and Jesus and we don't need to think any further than that. But we realize there's nothing we have to offer. We are simple. We are, God is our Father and we are little children, totally dependent on anything that he would give to us. That's hard. That's hard to get over. We need to look silly if necessary. Unfortunately, many people insist on growing up. Um, Many of you have read, I hope, the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, of course, many of you just stopped at the first story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a great story. But if you've read all the way to the end, it's kind of significant. Susan, the oldest girl, um, she doesn't appear in the last book, The Last Battle. And what's happened in the books that she appears is that she's expressed some fears and some doubts before Aslan and before the others. And she's not in the last book. And near, kind of near the middle, the end of the book, um, Peter, her brother, is asked about her. And says, he says, she's no longer a friend of Narnia. You see, she's, she's started to make fun of them every time they talk about Narnia and say, oh, how ridiculous that you still have these silly thoughts in your head of the games that we used to play as a child. And somebody else remarks in Narnia, oh, it's, it's always because she always wanted to be a grown-up. And then somebody else remarks, I wish she would grow up. Now think about that. Because she wanted to grow up, she cast aside these silly, simple things. That was her mistake. C.S. Lewis knew something about fairy tales and the power of them. And do you know where he learned the power of fairy tales? From his friend Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien, as you may know, wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I just recently tried to read Cimmerillion, okay, the, the, the precursor. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> Maybe you can. I mean, talk about detail. I mean, this man, he wrote the languages and, you know, but... Tolkien was really into fairy tales. You can say, what a waste of time. No, it was not a waste of time. You know what Tolkien understood and made clear to C.S. Lewis? What is the attraction that people have to fairy tales? What is it that people like about happy endings and about heroes and eternal love and about good triumphing over evil and about about tragic situations being rescued at the last minute and about a great king. What, what is it that people have about those things? Children love fairy tales, but when you grow older, you're not supposed to like them. But isn't it interesting that those movies always do well? The Marvel movies, the classic Disney movies, they, they, they do well not only among children, 
but among adults. And do you know why? We like them. We long for them. The critics, the cynics, they're so naive. That's not real life. I remember when Annalisa and I were in Russia, and our Russian teacher always felt like, you know, we needed to be really schooled in the classes. And I said, don't they ever have happy endings? Now, they're all so tragic. Everybody dies. Everybody's married to the wrong person. And they're awful. The endings are so sad. Oh, but that's, that's real life, my teacher would tell me. But should it be that way? That's the clue. We all know that despite what we see of life, we know in our hearts inside, but it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be. We know that. And do you know why? Because we're right. Because what Tolkien said is that deep down inside, we long for better reality. And the gospel, the gospel has all those realities of a great king who loves his people so much that he comes to rescue them from the evil one, has that eternal love, and rescues us from, at the last minute, when Jesus is dying and in the grave, he rescues them and raises them up, and good triumphs over evil, and he brings us into his kingdom. And you say, that's just another story. No, that's the story from which all other stories are based. Even stories that were written before the gospel, they know that reality. And they're all written because they know of the real truth in the gospel. And that's why it resonates with everybody. And when we grow out of those stories, we've erred. So we must give up our dignity. We must sacrifice our dignity and never grow up Never stop believing in those stories because then we stop believing in the gospel. So climbing the tree, I think, is symbolic of let's just cast aside our dignity and say, okay, I'm a child. Okay, I must receive the gospel. Okay, cast aside I have nothing to offer. The second thing we must do is avoid the distraction of the self-righteous. You may not see that quite so quickly. It says that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. Now, it says he was short. I, 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 it struck me as I was reading from the um, bulletin that, wow, that's really blunt. You know, we don't, we, we, we just vertically challenged. Or uh, ESV, as I recall, says uh, short of stature, or um, something about stature or something. Sorry? Small of stature or something like that. This one said short. Um, you know, usually if you're at a parade or at some large gathering, uh, people naturally let the, um, you know, uh, people to the front. Naturally. But they didn't let Zacchaeus in the front, probably because they hated him. I mean, I imagine, it, I mean, the, the Greek grammar suggests that it was willfully done. I can't be positive about that. But it suggests that the crowd willfully kept him from the front. It's not just that he couldn't See, you think, you know, normally, you know, people are reasonably kind, reasonably, that if they see somebody trying to say, oh, well, well go, go ahead through, you're not going to block my way. They wouldn't let Zacchaeus through. Because that's what these people were like. What were these people? Well, look at verse 7. These are the people that when Jesus does go to Zacchaeus' house, they say, oh, look, he's with a horrible sinner. And they're the self-righteous crowd. And the self-righteous crowd is often a great obstacle to people like Zacchaeus and to a lot of people who are considering Christianity. Have you noticed that? 
Sometimes the biggest obstacle for somebody to become a Christian is the Christian. That's what people say anyway. I'd become a Christian if it weren't for all the Christians I know. Now, brothers and sisters, we don't want to be those Christians, do we? That we would actually become an obstacle when people see Christians, they say, they're so self-righteous, I don't want to be like them. Of course, that can be a big smokescreen, right? And, and, and ironically, a lot of times, those who are accusing people of being self-righteous are doing it from a self-righteous motive, okay? But that is a true statement. Sometimes it is the self-righteousness of people that can be an obstacle. But from his treetop, I don't know how high he got, if he avoids the self-righteous, he can see right to Jesus. And so one of the obstacles we must overcome besides our dignity is the self-righteous crowd. Instead of messing with the people, and I'm not saying the church is not important, look right at Jesus. And how do we do that? We have his word, don't we? So if you're here today, and you're saying, I'm just, I, there's so many things I don't like about the church, and saying, okay, deal with that later. Look at the word. What does Jesus say? What does he claim? What are his words? Deal with Jesus. See what he says. Talk to him. Because when you deal with him, you'll see the truth. Okay? Deal with the self-righteousness later. Okay? Deal with Jesus. Look directly at him. So the obstacle of the self-righteous crowd, can, it can be a real obstacle, and we don't want to be that obstacle. That's another sermon. But looking directly at Jesus is extremely, extremely important. Look at his word, deal with his claims, and don't avoid that. And stop these smoke screens of saying, oh, this is a problem. Deal with Jesus. Look right at him. He's got a lot to say about who he is, what he came to do. So don't avoid the Bible. So many people think they know what the Bible says, and they haven't even opened it. So look at what he says. The third thing, this is similar. The third obstacle that many people must overcome as they want to meet Jesus, as they want to get to know him, is the scorn of the crowd. And this we see, of course, in verse 7, when the crowd is angry with Jesus for having gone in. But if you do respond to the gospel, people like the British scientist Richard Dawkins, they're going to call you an idiot. You know, if you do respond to the gospel, you're going to be an idiot you're going to be unintellectual. You're going to be closed-minded. If you believe the Bible is inerrant and should inform all your sexual ethics, for example, you're a Puritan, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot, or you're worse. You're hateful. And, and if you claim that you know the truth, oh, how dare you judge? Which, ironically, people are judging you for judging. Okay, but that's, that's another thing, okay? But... You have to bear the scorn of the crowd. And many people don't want to go there. If I become a Christian, if I start exploring this, everybody's going to judge me. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. And we have to be willing to get over that if we're going to come closer to Jesus. You know what? Even people in the church might judge you. Oh, he's gone off the deep end. She's become a Jesus freak. He found religion. He's judging me now. He's holier than thou. Yeah, that might happen. That might happen. So we're going to get scorn from the crowd as we come closer to Jesus, as we explore who he is. That may well happen if we truly embrace Christ. Finally, and this is very important, 
we will deal with, we must face the loss of our autonomy. The loss of our autonomy. There's no alliteralism here. Uh, the loss of our autonomy. In other words, um, kind of like who's boss? Um, Zacchaeus hoped to see Jesus. Okay? So he hoped to see the teacher, the miracle worker. I, mean, I can't read his mind. I don't know exactly what Zacchaeus was thinking. But it, it, there he is up in the tree. And I think this is the way a lot of people are. They're quite happy to get a distant relationship, distant you know, sight of Jesus. He's a teacher. He's a good example. You know, I like that. And how many people have you talked to that say, sure, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. They hadn't even read the Bible. They have no idea who he is. But that's how much they know about Jesus because they're very happy to see him at a distance. That's probably what Zacchaeus wanted. Probably. I, I don't know that, right? But something happens. Jesus walks by the tree and stops and looks up in the tree and calls him by name. How did he know his name? Because he's God, right? He calls him by name. He says, come down. Well, that's where a lot of other people are too. Oh, he called me. He has saved me. And some people stop there. They say, he has saved me. I am saved now. And then they go along their merry way. And they don't necessarily plan on going any farther with that. And so we know many people who say, he has saved me. I can tell you the date. I've written it down. It's in my Bible. I've never opened the Bible since. I don't necessarily worship, but he has saved me. And so we have many people in that category who are simple or simply happy to have met Jesus. Okay? Um, so that might be the secret. There's no relationship. There's no relationship there. He's named you. That's wonderful. But Jesus wants more. Come down. I must stay at your house today. How audacious. I mean, how would you feel about somebody like that inviting himself to your house? That wasn't really done then either. Except the, I, the hospitality was so paramount, so important. that it was, it was quite an honor. And of course he couldn't say no. He, he was actually quite thrilled. But it wasn't done. You didn't invite yourself to people's houses. Okay? You might stop in, but you wouldn't say, I'm coming to your house today. Well, many people would actually be satisfied enough with that. Oh, you want dinner? We could do dinner. Okay? And, and they're willing to kind of entertain Jesus. And so this, this categorizes a lot of people who would say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus, but it's more a la carte. Okay? In other words, I follow Jesus. Um, I, I go to church most of the time, okay? And, and I follow him in this area, and I follow him in this area. But there are so many Christians, it, it's, it's amazing to me, who, which under the umbrella of freedom and grace, practice a variety of sins, maybe approve of and themselves practice a variety of sexual ethics, sleeping with boyfriends or fiancés, whatever, um, viewing things they should not be viewing on streaming video, for example, uh, coarse language, and, and, and on and on. Cheating in different ways at work, or who knows what else. Doing things they know are not right, but, say, but they're not salvation issues. So I don't even have to give probably too many more specific examples. But there are many people in this category, probably some here, that are saying, I love Jesus, a la carte, Cafeteria, buffet, Jesus wants a full course meal. 
Jesus says, I'm coming to your house to stay. And we don't even know how long this meal lasted. Jesus comes and he moves in because a meal in that culture was hours and hours. So let's just kind of symbolize that and say, Jesus is moving in. Okay, we don't know. I mean, you don't kick him out. And we don't know how long he was there. So let's understand that. Jesus says, I want to move in. And so we give up our autonomy and saying, if you're coming to dinner, I understand I'm giving up. Okay, you now become the host. Look what happens to Zacchaeus. Jesus comes and Zacchaeus very quickly, we think, says, Lord, look, Lord. Kind of like, look, Daddy. Look, Lord. Even right now, I'm going to give away half away my wealth and four times whatever I've cheated somebody. Four times. That's way beyond what the law would have required. Way beyond. He is transformed. Jesus didn't say, you know, if I'm coming to dinner, here are some rules. His heart is transformed. Those were apparently his biggest issues, and they bubble up to the surface. What about you? What about you? If Jesus is dealing with your heart issues, what are they? And are you willing to give them up? Or are you willing to say, not there, Lord. You can't touch that one. You've got to give up your autonomy. Or are you really having a meal with Jesus? Is he really moving in? Or are you trying to keep arm's length with Jesus? With Zacchaeus, he moved right in. And this is the relationship that he calls us to have. We give up our autonomy. So are we called to give away half our wealth? And, and Well, maybe. I, mean, I don't think it's the same for all of us. But we need to look at all these areas of our life and say, we are not in charge. You are, Lord. Whatever you say. Now, there's a very parallel plot. There's a plot, parallel plot that I haven't really talked about. See, Zacchaeus, he climbs a tree. He's looking, you know, and, and then, um, you know, J Jesus stops and he calls him by name. What's really interesting is that Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus, right? Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus. And that becomes really obvious. Zacchaeus, he stops. Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. And then he's there and Zacchaeus repents. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house since he is a son, now a spiritual son of Abraham. Okay? And then he, he, he says the verse that many think is the theme verse in Luke. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus has sought out Zacchaeus and he found him. So who is seeking whom? Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. So I think Jesus continues to seek us in a sense because many of us are still struggling with what does it really mean to be eating, to be following Jesus. But some of you are still hedging. Some of you really don't know where you are with the Lord. If he's calling you, if he's calling you, why would you resist? We were made for God. And you will never be happy until you are his. So is he calling you? Is he calling you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the experience of Zacchaeus, a man who was turned upside down because the Lord came to his house. We pray, Lord, that you would impress upon us what it means 
to have you move in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.